Welcome and thank you for tuning in to the Grove Church Podcast. My name is Pastor Nick and I have the honor and privilege of pastoring the Grove Church right here in Fontana, California. Here at the Grove, our vision is to see our community grow closer to Christ, be givers like Christ, and reintroduce the lost to Christ. And my prayer is that as you listen to this message, you will be encouraged, you'll grow a little in your faith, and you wouldn't just hear the word, but you would become a doer of the word. But I wouldn't just stop there. I encourage you to share this message with your friends, family, coworkers, neighbors, and anyone else you can think of. And after you do that, follow us on social media and visit our website at yourgrovechurch.org to learn more about who we are as a ministry and how you can get involved and plugged in right here at The Grove. I'm excited for you to hear this message. I can't wait. So get your notes ready and let's dive all the way in together. So part three. So here in this um, series, we've been studying the book of James. Of course, our main text for the book of James is James chapter one, verse 12, right? That is our main text. And so what does James chapter one, verse 12 say? By, the, by now, we should all have it memorized, right? James chapter one, verse 12, blesses the one who perseveres under trial. Everyone say trial. Because having stood the test, everybody say test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So this is the foundational text to the book of James. In setting the foundation for this series in week one, we also looked at uh, this quote that really summarizes what James is trying to communicate to us as believers. So here's what it says. For James, works is a natural result of faith. When a person truly believes in something, when you truly believe in something, and today we're actually looking at that truly part, when you truly believe in something, he or she will act on that belief. So that is really what we're focusing on today. When a person truly believes in something, he or she will act on that belief. With this letter, James was sounding a wake-up call to all Christians what is that wake-up call and what is really the premise and the message that we're trying to communicate through this series? It is get your life in line with what you believe. Look at someone and say, get your life in line with what you believe. So in week one, again, setting that foundation, we answered or we talked about a series of questions and uh, and last week we dug into that one question that was focused on how do you behave in the middle of trials? Right. That was really our focus last week. And last week's message on faith tested was really all about what do you do in the middle of your trials? How do you behave knowing that trials are a part of life? Right. And so, James, we taught we learned about six different things that James teaches us in James chapter one. Right. We talked about be prepared for the trials because they're inevitable. We talked about not being surprised by them because trials are part of the Christian life. We talked about staying ready for the trial because there are many trials, not just one, but they are a battle within the war. We talked about learning something. We talked about learning something from them, that trials are learning opportunities. We talked about not giving in to them because trials 
will test your faith and you want to stand firm in your faith and not give in to the trial. Because at the end of the day, the trial or the test, that thing that comes to really uh, push you to the limit is meant to develop you. It's meant to mature you. And so we shouldn't give in to them, but we should actually rise to the challenge knowing that there's something good that is going to come from that challenge. And the last thing we talked about last week was not being discouraged by the challenge, but really considering the challenge as pure joy and not the challenge itself, right? It's, it's not, I am not rejoicing in the fact that I am being hurt. I'm not rejoicing in the fact that I'm being stretched because if you work out, if you go to the gym, you know that when you work out, it doesn't always feel good to you in the moment, but it's the result that you're searching for. It's not about just going just to go or to lift weights just to lift weight, but it's about what is this action? What is this thing that I am putting my body through? What is this going to get out of me and what are the results from it? So our testing and our trial is meant to do the same thing. It is not about just going through something for the sake of it. It's not about being stressed just to be stressed, but it is about what is this battle or this challenge going to get from me? What is it going to produce in me as well? So I don't consider the trial itself pure joy, but I consider the result of having gone through and persevered through the trial the pure joy. So that's all part one and part two that we talked about. Today, we want to focus on chapter two of James, and uh, we are focusing on being doers of God's word. So not just hearing it, not just saying we have faith, but really showing it to be true. That again, if we look at the quote that has kind of set the foundation, it says when a person truly believes in something, he or she will act on that belief. And so we want to focus on being doers of this word, not just having faith, but showing that we actually have faith. So we're going to pick up the message in James chapter two, and we're going to look at verses one through 26. So um, I'll break this down. And, and really, James is going to be split into two parts. This, this second chapter is really split into two definitive parts. And I'll break that down a little later. But let's start with James chapter two, verses one through 26. Here's what it says. It says, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. So James is contrasting two different people that might walk into your circle or that you might encounter. One of these people has drip. One of, the, one of these people is just fresh like compared to everyone else in the room, this person has that it factor. And then the other one comes in and this person is not necessarily dressed in the finest of linens, but this person has filthy old clothes is what it describes. The verse three, it says, if you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Ooh, this is real. Verse five, listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong. 
If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself. Look at someone and say, love your neighbor. You are doing right. But if you show favoritism, again, it starts out by saying, do not show favoritism. If you do show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as law breakers. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. I'll read that again, just so it kind of gets deep into our heart. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have broken a law or you have become a lawbreaker. Speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In other words, love triumphs over judgment. In other words, I have to love others as opposed to judging them or placing judgment. Verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? So all the good deeds and all the kind words and the prayers and I'm praying for you and, and God bless you and all of that. What good is all of that if you do nothing for the individual's physical needs? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. So James is basically telling us your words are useless if there is no action behind them. And then he talks about our faith. He says our faith by itself is, is dead without some action behind it. And that is what we're going to focus on. If someone truly believes, they are going to act on what they believe. And so if I really have faith, I'm going to demonstrate that faith towards others and in different various places. Verse 18, but someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So I'm going to demonstrate that I actually have faith. It's going to be more than lip service. I'm going to put some walk behind my talk. Verse 19, you believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You foolish person. Do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. So he's giving us a little proof. He's backing up what he's saying by giving us an example. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without 
deeds is dead. Most commonly her faith without works is dead. So this is what we're focusing on today. We are going to focus on faith authenticated. That is what our focus is on today. Last week was faith tested. What do we do when our faith is tested? How do we uh, preempt the testing of our faith? Today, we're talking about faith authenticated. So let's pray for just a moment here. Lord, we just thank you for this opportunity to dwell in your presence. Lord, I pray that this word that we are hearing today, God, just like we've heard over this series, God, everything about our faith, everything about our the action behind our faith, Lord, I pray that it would just convict us, it would challenge us, it would push us towards action, Jesus. And just like James teaches us, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just hear this word, but we would become doers of it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So we're talking about faith authenticated. And, and, and when we think about the epistle of James, while trials is, is really the central theme to his book, prior to going through this series, if I had asked you what was probably the most famous um, theme of the book of James or what is probably the more notable text in the book of James, you probably would have said that his teaching on faith and works was more notable. Now, there is some thought that James's book here contradicts Paul's ideas, right? Because Paul in Romans chapter five, verse one says, we have been declared righteous by faith. That is what Paul describes. He says, we have become righteous, declared righteous by faith. And James, what he is saying here is a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. So it almost appears as though these two ideas are contradictory to one another, but in essence, they are complementary of one another. They're actually saying the same things. Both James and Paul would not agree that faith without works is truly an act of faith. Both of them would say that, no, you got to put some action behind your faith. It's not just in your words. It's not just in what you think or what you feel, but it is the action that you put behind what you think and what you feel, right? Here's what it says. Paul urges his readers to do good works, but only as a natural outcome of Christianity or the fruit of their faith, right? So, so that's Paul's thought is that, no, I need to do some good works because because of my faith and because of the fruit of my faith, naturally, I'm going to do good works. And so it's very similar to what James describes. In the same manner, James constantly tells a person to live by good works that grow out of a life of faith. So Paul on one end is saying, because you are a believer and because you have faith, naturally you should produce good works. James is saying basically the same thing. He's saying, listen, demonstrate the works that make up your faith. Show your faith and your works simultaneously. So they're really saying the same thing. The point for both Paul and James is that there should be some authenticity. Look at your neighbor and say authenticity. There should be some authenticity when it comes to our faith and how we live it out. Meaning we don't go around doing good deeds simply because we want to be seen as someone who does good deeds. Right? We are not a church that goes out and helps and buys refrigerators and buys different household items and goods and donates 
uh, receipts from the Goodwill so that others can purchase clothes from the Goodwills. We don't just do that because we want to be seen as a church who does good deeds. That's not the case. There is some authenticity behind our heart and who we are as believers and what we believe as a church. And when we talk about in our vision being givers like Christ, that is what we truly mean. It means that because of our faith and because of what we believe and because of our, our connectedness to Jesus Christ, we are going to naturally produce good works. It's not just about being seen as a hero or being this great philanthropist, but it is about doing good deeds because of our faith in Jesus Christ and its adherence to his word, right? And so it's not a just for show, but there is some authenticity behind why we do what we do. To be authentic is to prove or to show to be true or genuine. So really, when we're talking about faith authenticated, we're talking about how do we show that our faith is true? How do we show that we have a genuine faith? Because as believers, like Paul says, like James says, naturally, there should be some good works that come from us as believers. Look at your neighbor and say, naturally, there should be some good works that come from you being a believer. So if you truly have faith, then it will, it will and it should show in your actions, in my actions, to how I treat others and how I live overall, right? For the Jewish audience James is writing to and for us as Christians today, we tend to think that having faith is enough. We tend to think that just because we believe in Jesus Christ, that is enough. I know, uh, I know um, there, there is a lot of people who, in, in the secular world, there's a lot of people who might describe, you know, loving God, right? Like if you watch an award show, it's hard to find an award show where a recipient of an award doesn't come up and say, oh, I want to thank God, right? But, but does that mean that their actions, does that mean that there is a genuine faith? No, I can believe in Jesus and there not be any fruit from my faith. I can believe in Jesus and not naturally do the good deeds that Paul is describing. That does not mean my faith is active. It means I have an inactive faith. And at the end of the day, what James is trying to teach us is that in order for us to really, really show that we have authentic faith, that has to come from our actions as well, right? Have you ever described someone saying like, oh, I am Jewish or I grew up Jewish, but I'm not practicing. Or, oh, I'm Catholic, I grew up Catholic, but I'm not practicing. In other words, what that means is that that person might have been brought up with those beliefs. They might have been brought up in a house where they were told and taught certain things, but they are not actively participating in the religion, meaning they're not following the rules or practices of the religion in the moment. So I'm not practicing. And I think as Christians, we have a lot of non-practicing Christians where we say we believe in Jesus, but our actions don't align to what we believe. And so James writes to many Jewish believers who were having the same conflict. They were confused about their new role as Christians, right? Last week, we talked about this, the audience, the original audience of the text. And, and James is speaking to that original original audience, but there are theological principles that we can take from the text. And so here, James is speaking to a community that seems confused about their faith, which sounds very similar to some of us as Christians, where we are confused about our faith because we are not actively participating in what scripture tells us to do. So it brings about some confusion. And so James, he deals with those who feel that they can live by faith, but they don't have to work out their practical obedience. Right. So he's speaking to a group of people who have faith, 
They know who Jesus is, but practically speaking, they are disobedient to Scripture. So it's possibly an audience who believed that they could live any kind of way that they wanted. Right. And I know we have I certainly and so I won't make a general statement, but I have certainly had a point in time in life where I felt like oh, I can live however I want. Because I know Jesus, I'll be protected. Everything will be fine. And that kind of goes back to our series on grace, where there are a lot of people who will never come to know Jesus, but yet they benefit from this common grace that exists. Right. And so we might live that way as though, man, I can do whatever I want. But at the end of the day, our faith has to be backed by our actions. James uses what is described as negative motivation. He says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and they shudder. So he's showing them that, yes, it is one thing to believe in God. It is another thing to act on it because there are a lot of people who believe, demons believe, and they shudder, right? In text, in the scripture, there are a number of times where demons actually know who Jesus is and they actually call him out. And, and it's all through text. So it's not just enough to believe, but there's got to be some action behind it. As we read through chapter two of James, um, there, like I described earlier, there's two separate issues that James is addressing here. Two really distinct issues that James is speaking to that we have to be thoughtful of as well in our day-to-day life. And this kind of sets up our teaching for today. Um, he is he is showing us that the first half of the, half of the book of James chapter two deals with others. Look at your neighbor and say, it deals with others. And then the second half of the book actually deals with you as a believer. Look at your neighbor and say, the second half is about you. It's all about you and and the why behind the action that has to come with our faith. And so let's look at this first part, the first half of James chapter two. It really is gonna focus on James chapter two, verse one through 13. And it's all about faith and relationships. When it comes to that first half, James teaches us how to put some action behind our faith. And specifically, he focuses on how we treat others. Here's a quote that can sum up that first half of James chapter two. It says, an empty religion will betray itself in relationships to make superficial distinctions among people, preferring those of prestige and position is incompatible with the faith of our Lord which excludes favoritism based on wealth or class. So he's basically saying that if you are going to show favoritism, you effectively have a superficial religion. And so faith and favoritism don't go hand in hand. And so the first thing that James is basically teaching us is believers in Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Very simply put and clear, believers in Jesus Christ should not show favoritism favoritism. Here, James makes the distinction or rather makes it clear that there should be, there should not be a distinction between those who are poor and rich. And he's making that clear in this text as he's writing to the Jewish audience. But what is the theological principle that we can pull from this? What is the general principle that we can take from that point? It is very simply put, if we take this step further and we put it in today's context, instead of thinking about poor and rich financially, think about poor and rich spiritually. Right. And so what I mean is like individuals who who don't know Jesus or individuals who are not practicing. We might look at those. We might look at that group versus a group of believers who we know go to church 
actively, who we know read their scriptures actively and pray actively. Those are two different groups that you could make the distinction between. You have the active and the non-active, but James is basically saying, don't, don't show favoritism to just those who are active in faith. Right. So if I'm putting this in today's context, I'm not going to think of those who think like me and act like me and believe the same things as me as better or higher than those who don't. Right. I'm not going to assume that because you believe what I believe that you are better than someone. Instead of only treating fellow believers with care and rolling out the word and the red carpet for those who think like you and believe what you believe. How can we as believers show that we truly have faith in Jesus Christ? by the way that we treat, think about this, the way that we treat non-believers. If you really wanna demonstrate your faith, it is not how you treat those who have the same faith as you, it is how you treat those who believe something completely different than you. That is the distinction that James is making between poor and rich. If you think about it spiritually, you can think about the poor in spirit and the rich in spirit. At the end of the day, why is this important? It's because God is impartial himself. God is impartial and shows the same love, the same grace, blessings, and benefits of his salvation to all people. There is God, God shows no partiality. God is not looking at those who don't believe and thinking of them as less than. Because God, at the end of the day, wants everybody to come to know him. He gives us the ability to choose him, but he wants all of us to come to know him. He wants us all to choose him. So he doesn't make the distinction between rich and poor spiritually, and he doesn't treat one side better than the other. And so how can we demonstrate that same love for God by not showing favoritism to others? Instead, what we need to do, as James teaches us when it comes to faith and relationships, is a very simple principle. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is a very common thought. This is a very common scripture, right? We talked about this last week as the golden rule, treat others how you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And one of the things that we have to remember about this command that scripture tells us is, is uh, part of this great commandment. The first is to love your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your, with all your soul, with every fiber of your being. But the second is, is as great, love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so this is all about not this, not this approach of, okay, if you do me good, then I'm going to do you good. If you treat me right, then I'm going to treat you right. No, it's saying take the assertive approach to treat someone well, just like you would want them to treat you. Not because they have treated you well, but because you would want them to do the same thing for you. And so it is taking the active approach. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And this is considered this royal law, the law that deals with human relationships, and that is love overall. That single word, love, is how we can demonstrate faith through our actions. So James, what is, what is he, uh, what is, how is he to describe favoritism? He basically says that when we show favoritism, effectively we are in sin. Because at that point, what we're doing is we're keeping uh, part of the law, but not all of it. And so to treat one person better simply because of their status or well-being is contradictory to what Jesus did. 
right? When we look through scripture, Jesus sat and ate with tax collectors who were considered the worst of the worst kind of people in that day, right? They were considered terrible, like scum of the earth. They were just as bad as those who had a disease or lepers who were banished to their own side of the island. Jesus would sit and would eat with these kind of people. He washed, Jesus also would wash the feet of those who followed him. And he saw himself as a servant and not someone who had to be served. And so what he was doing is he was loving others and he teaches us through scripture what we ought to do as well. So when it comes to faith and relationships and living out our faith, one of the very simple principles that we have to adhere to is not showing favoritism, but loving our neighbors. And who is our neighbor? Our neighbor are not just our physical neighbors, next door neighbors, but every single person we encounter is our neighbor. And so I've got to love every single person as I love myself. The next thing that James teaches us about faith and relationships, again, the first half of James chapter two is you can't have one without the other. You can't have one without the other. In other words, you can't say that you have faith and not love people. You can't say that you believe God and not love others. Because scripture is very clear that if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. And if he tells us to love our neighbor, we can't say that we believe in Jesus, but hate everybody we come encounter with. Right. Even the ones who do us wrong, even the ones who do us dirty, we can't say that we love God and still not love people. Here's what James chapter two, verses 10 through 11 says. Let's look at this together. It says, for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. And so James is basically telling us you can't have one without the other. You can't have faith and keep part of the scripture, but not keep all of it. Here's a quote uh, that describes this point. It says, James does not teach that to commit one sin, such as murder or adultery, is to be guilty of every other individual sin listed in the law. That's not what he's describing. He's not saying because you commit murder, now you've broken every single law and you've done every single thing. That's not what he's describing. He views the law as an expression of God's will, which is an unfragmented whole, so that breaking any part of the law constitutes breaking the law as a whole. So in other words, in simple terms, to, disregards, to disregard God's will as revealed in the law is not merely to break an isolated rule, it is to rebel against God himself. And so this is very simple. Like we, we can make this, we can bring this down even more. If you say that you have faith, but you don't love others, then what you are effectively doing is you are rebelling against God himself. So if we were to think about that in our day-to-day life, if we were to think about all the commands that scripture gives us, every time we were to break a command, we should think of it as we are rebelling against God himself. It is not just the individual that you're rebelling against. It is not the the individual who has said, keep the law. It is God who has said, keep the law. And so if we choose to not keep the law, we are rebelling not just against that person, but against God himself. So you can't have one without the other. 
We asked a question in week one about filth and wickedness and, you know, how much filth and wickedness still remains in our lives. And wickedness we defined as wrong or eternally disruptive, godless, lawless, guilty, punishable, vicious, unrighteous, sinful. How much of this stuff is still in our lives? Right. Another way to phrase this is where are you stumbling when it comes to what Scripture teaches us? Look at your neighbor and say, where are you stumbling? What areas of scripture are you not keeping in whole? What areas of scripture are you listening to part of, but not the other? We cannot take part of scripture and live out that part and then leave the other behind. We can't take part of the Bible and say, I believe this part, but the rest of that is garbage. We can't say that we believe in Jesus Christ, but don't think that he is the Messiah. We can't say that we believe in Jesus Christ and what scripture teaches us and not believe that when we die, if we believe in Jesus Christ, if we have had faith, if we have lived a righteous life, that we won't go to heaven or that heaven isn't real. Now, we don't live for heaven. We live to get closer to Jesus Christ. But I can't say that I believe in scripture, believe in heaven, but then also not believe in hell. Like at the end of the day, as terrible as it sounds, and I know it sounds horrible and that's the purpose of the description of hell. I know it sounds terrible to be thrown into a lake of fire for sinning and not listening to what the word of God says. But at the end of the day, this is reality. This is real life. There is a heaven and there is a hell. There is not one or the other. It is a both. And so are you treating only those that align with what you believe well? I know there's a lot of talking today now about how the world is changing and there's this thing about pronouns that come up often. And so it's so here's a way to phrase that question and using that in context. Are you treating only those who who don't have pronouns in their Zoom names and Slack names? Well, are you only treating those people kindly and are you looking down on all the others who do? Right. Do you only care about those who have the same race as you? Do you only care about those who think like you? You can't have one without the other. If you're going to love God, you have to love God's people as well. And here's a very simple quote that tells us why this is important, right? Created in the image of God, all human beings have an equal value and by their humanity are interrelated. So regardless of what we believe, at the end of the day, we all have a commonality and that is that we are human beings. Human worth cannot be valued by ethnicity or wealth, social standing or educational level because all are significant and valuable in God's order. To regard a race or group or individual as less important than another is sin in view of the fact that Christ died for all people and for each person in particular. Yes, the person that you dislike, the friend at school, the coworker at work, the neighbor behind you, whatever it is, every single person on this earth, God has died for. And for that person in particular, the quote continues and it says, at the foot of the cross, we are equal. But in our worth to God, he sent his son to die for each of us and in our need to accept his gift of salvation. Let us learn to respect and honor every person regardless of his or her station or color. 
And so in the first half of this book, when it comes to our faith and what James is teaching us about our faith is that our faith in, in, in relationships is important. Living out our faith in how we treat one another is important. And our relationships and our actions in those relationships have to align to God's word. You can't have faith and not love people. We've got to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And we can't show favoritism. Just because someone believes what we believe does not mean that we should show favoritism to them and not treat every single person as human and equal and deserving of God's love. Because at the end of the day, that is the fact that matters. Every single person is deserving of God's love. So James teaches us about our faith and our relationships. So then in the second half of James chapter two, we're looking at verses 14 through 26. This is all about our faith and obedience. Look at your neighbor and say obedience. So it's not just about our relationships and how we treat one another, but it's about what our treating of others and our holding to faith and living out our faith through our actions, it's what it produces in us and who we are as a result of us living out our actions. When it comes to the second half of James chapter two, James is teaching us why it is, why it is important to put action behind our faith and what it means for us as believers when we do this, right? So James is not just skipping that part of it. He is telling us what is the value of living out your faith through your actions. What we learn when it comes to faith and our need to live it out is that doing so is obedience. When we put action behind our faith, it is being obedient. In this sense, James is, refer is referencing this idea of saving faith, right? There's the dead faith, dead faith that he talks about, but then he talks about and he contrasts that with saving faith. He talks about the dead faith when we look at, um, I think it's, it's verse 14, um, but he says, look, what good, um, let's, let's bring this up. It says in, in James chapter two, verse 14, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? How would you answer that question? Before we even dig into what James says, how would you answer that question? Can this type of faith save someone? Someone who believes, but yet has no actions behind it, right? So someone who says, I love God, but never shows it physically, never demonstrates it in the way that they communicate with others, never demonstrates it in the way that they live out their faith. Can that type of faith save someone? And James is basically telling us the answer is no, that that type of faith cannot save us. And so he's talking about a saving faith and how our action behind our faith is the type of faith that actually saves us. He describes the kind of faith as a type of faith that produces an obedient life. And that is really why the answer is no to the question. Because if we say we have faith, but we're not willing to live it out, then we are effectively being disobedient because scripture tells us to live out our faith in certain ways, right? It tells us to, to adhere to God's commands. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. All those things, all those commandments. But it also talks about loving our neighbor, right? It also talks about our relationships in marriage. It talks about our relationships when it comes to our children and children to their parents. Everything that the Bible describes is trying to help us live out our faith with actions. 
right? So James is basically saying you cannot just take the Bible, you cannot just pray a prayer of salvation and not do the things after you've prayed that prayer to show that you actually have a changed life. So if I say I have faith, but I am conforming to the world, is that a saving type of faith? James is telling us no. If I have faith and believe in God and I make the decision to not conform to this world, but live out the principles that God gives us in scripture, is that a saving kind of faith? That is a saving kind of faith. So what is James trying to summarize in this text? What is he trying to tell us? Something very simple. Faith not accompanied by our actions is dead. That is what James tells us. Faith that is not accompanied by our actions is dead. And so here's what it says. Again, verse 14 through 17. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. Verse 16. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? And so he's just telling us faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by our action, is dead. It goes back to the point we made last week, right? If we never demonstrate our love for God, how can he truly, really know that we truly love him? If we never demonstrate it, if we never do the things that he calls us to do, if he never, when he gives us a challenge to show our faith, if we never adhere and rise to that challenge, how can we really show God that we love him? And so why is it important to put action behind our faith? Because our works and what we do with our faith shows the genuineness that we profess. Right. So if I'm saying that I believe in God, the only way to truly prove that and to authenticate what I believe is showing it in my words. This is one of the reasons that when we pray the prayer of salvation, I always describe that there's no magic in the prayer. There's no there's nothing magical and there's no magic potion in this prayer. It is not. Oh, I say this and now I you know, everything is great. And now I'm, I'm living righteously. No, I actually have to live it out. So we describe doing three things. Right. We describe getting into God's word reading God's word. That is putting my faith in action. I believe in Jesus, so I want to listen and hear to what he has to say about me. And I want to trust what he has to say about me. We talk about getting around community, right? That is a principle that is described in scripture. Do not forsake the assembling of the saints. And so I am gathering, not because it is just something to check off the list on Sunday, but it's because I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to get around and encourage others with my faith but I also want to be encouraged by their faith too. And the last thing that we described after you prayed this prayer of salvation is to start talking to God, right? So having a conversation with God, communicating with God. If I say I believe in Jesus, then I should be praying, not just for others, but I should be listening to what God has to say to me as well. So there's no magic in that prayer, but it is all about how you live it out, how you demonstrate it. When we say this, we are declaring our faith and belief in the gospel. That's what the prayer of salvation is. And after that, I have to live it out. Faith authenticated is about showing our faith to be true 
faith, not superficial, not surface level. When we live out our faith, we are showing that we believe what we say to the degree that we are willing to say it and show it. Look at your neighbor and say, say it and show it. It's not one or the other. It is both. Say it and show it. Just saying it or just believing it is not enough. James chapter two, verse 19 puts it this way. You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. This is our encouragement. I know it sounds crazy, but this is our encouragement to not just say what we believe, not just believe it in our hearts, but actually do it and live it out. The next thing that James teaches us about our faith and why, is it, why it is important for our action to follow our faith is this. He shows us that faith is completed by obedience. Faith is completed by obedience. James chapter two, verses 21 through 22. Let's look at what it tells us. 21 verses, uh, chapter two, verses 21 through 22. It says, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his actions were working together and his faith was made complete by what he did. So prior to God telling uh, Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, it was all about Abraham just believing. I believe that Jesus is, and obviously Abraham had some other things that that showed that he actually, that he was living out what he believed, right? He, he got up and he moved his family to this, to this land that was unknown. So he, was, he took some steps and some actions and, and to demonstrate that he believed, but this was another example of his faith and his works working together to make his faith complete. And so why is it important for us to live out our faith and put some action behind our faith? Because it makes our faith complete, right? It makes our faith complete when we live it out and we are acting and we're putting some action behind it. And so what James is simply saying here is that faith creates works, works perfect faith. So that's what James and Paul are describing. It's like, yo, if you really believe in Jesus, then naturally, if your faith is genuine and authentic, naturally, you're going to produce some good works. Right. It's just like having having the fruits of the spirit. If you have the Holy Spirit and you're living by the Holy Spirit, you're going to produce kindness. You're going to produce patience. You're going to produce long suffering. You're going to produce love because it is a natural part of what you believe and what is taking hold on the inside of you. And so that's what James is simply saying. Faith creates works, works perfect faith. James uses Abraham as, as an example, and it's and it's not. Um, it is, it is uh, not to say that Abraham wasn't righteous prior to this event, right? It's, it's, it, he had some other moments that demonstrated his faith, but it, he, in this moment, it was just him proving in this instance that what he believed he was willing to act on. I want us to think about this for a moment. How many times has God nudged us to action and we've made the decision that ah, I'm not going to do that? Right. Just think to yourself, how many times has God nudged you or you felt God speaking to you to to share the gospel with someone else? And you thought, ah, oh, just the embarrassment of talking about Jesus publicly, ah, the embarrassment about talking about Jesus at school or talking about Jesus at work. And 
how are people going to think about me? And what are people going to say about me? And are people going to call me a Jesus freak? Are people going to think I'm weird if I talk about him, right? Like how, how, when, think about those times that God has nudged us. I love it in, in, in one of the, uh, in, in one of Kanye West's early songs, he called Jesus Walks. He talks about this. He talks about if, you know, he makes, he has this line where he says, you mean if I talk about Jesus, then my record won't get played? Is that the case? And then he goes on and he says, well, if this takes away from my spins, which will take away from my ends financially is what he's describing, then so be it. Like, hopefully it brings about the day when everybody is in a club or in this public place talking about Jesus. And now you see Kanye living out his faith in some sense by trying to influence others with gospel music. Now you can judge or you can question whether how effective it is, but at the end of the day, there is this part of living out your faith regardless of what people think about you that's important. And I think oftentimes as Christians, and myself included, we have these moments where God is nudging us to do something and God is urging us to speak to someone or do something kind for someone. And we decide not to because the fear of how other people are going to think about us is so real that it paralyzes us. Instead of just being focused on what does God think about me? In both instances, when I do these things, when I act out my faith, and then when I don't, what is God thinking about me in those moments? It's one thing to believe in God. It's another thing to be obedient to God. And this is the area of our life that James is trying to mature us in. He's trying to mature us by saying, listen, don't just believe it, but actually be obedient to what the word says. As believers in Jesus Christ, if God is calling us to demonstrate our faith and we are actively turning him down instead of doing what he has called us to do, this is disobedience. It's disobedience. If God is calling us to do something and we choose not to do it for whatever reason, doesn't matter what the reason is, for whatever reason, we are being disobedient to God. And James is trying to teach us through James chapter two that faith is completed only through our obedience. As believers, we often see faith as like this vertical thing where it's just me and God. Oh, I have a relationship with God, right? We talked about this before of the individuals who describe being spiritual. And so I don't need to come to church because I'm spiritual and, and all this stuff. And, and really that is a vertical faith where it is just me and God it's just focus on me and God, and there's room for that. But the reality of faith is that faith is not just spiritual. Faith is also practical. There's a spiritual element to it, right? It is my belief in God, even though I cannot see him, I cannot touch him. It is my belief there that makes it spiritual, but it is also natural in the way or practical in the way that I live it out. So it's not just a vertical approach, but it's a horizontal approach as well. So if you think about the cross, two, two beams that are crossed, one going vertical, one going horizontal. The vertical represents the relationship between you and God. The horizontal represents your relationship between you and others. And we have to get both of those right, right? This is why James is showing us in, in this whole book of chapter two that it's about ourselves when it comes to God and what that means in our relationship to God, but it's also about our relationship to other people. 
Because James is focusing on the fact that the cross has two beams, one going vertical, one going horizontal, one representing our connection to God and the other representing the natural practical side of faith. So that horizontal or practical side deals with how do I, how do I deal with the needs of those around me? How am I being attentive to other people's needs? Again, faith is not just a spiritual thing. It is practical as well. The last thing that James teaches us in James chapter two is this. Very simply put, we are righteous by what we do. We are made righteous by what we do. Not just by what we say, but by what we do. James chapter two, verse 25. Here's what it says. It says, in the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them out in a different direction. Rahab, um, in the book of Joshua, describes Rahab as being this prostitute. And she was a woman who lived in Jericho, in the promised land, that Joshua was wanting to spy out and try to understand what was going on over there. Is this truly the promised land? And so as he sent two spies over into the promised land, they came across Rahab and she assisted these Israelite spies by hiding the two men. She hid them in her home. And when they came to her home, because others were like, oh, I noticed there were two spies that came by here. They likely went by Rahab's home. She basically did not give them up. She hid them in her home. Now, there could have been all kinds of repercussions for her, but she didn't, it, that didn't matter to her. What mattered to her is what her belief was. And she believed and even told the spies, I believe that this, I believe that the Lord has, has dedicated this land. I believe that this truly is the promised land. And so she hid the spies and so they wouldn't come under attack. And so it wasn't just what she believed, right? Because think about it this way. If Rahab did not hide the spies, would, would the Israelites have overtaken the city? If they had gotten caught, would they have ever known the, the, the difficulty or level of difficulty in, in overcoming and overthrowing the city? Maybe, maybe not. But it was because Rahab was demonstrating her faith and hid the man so that they could go back to Joshua and tell them what they had seen. It was her actions that helped them see and realize, yes, this truly is the promised land and we can overtake this city. Without her, who knows what would have happened. So she was not only saying to the spies, I believe this is the promised land and I believe in the Lord, but she was demonstrated by hiding the spies so that they could report back the word that they had gotten from the city. I don't know if these things are directly connected, but um, Rahab, being who she was, even as a prostitute, she actually falls in the lineage of Jesus Christ. And how so? Because Rahab was the mother of Boaz, who Boaz is a very familiar character that all the singles like to talk about. And when you start talking about relationships, you talk about uh, Boaz and, and Ruth, but Rahab was the mother of Boaz. And Boaz becomes the, the father of Jesse. And Jesse becomes the father of David and so on and so forth that it ends up and it finally concludes with Jesus Christ being born. 
And so Rahab finds herself in the lineage of Jesus. And I don't know if those two things are connected or if, or if the reason she hit the spies is the reason why this became her reality. But the fact still remains that there was some good that came out of her doing her part to hide those spies. And the other part about this and why this is important and why James mentions this, we see that James mentions Abraham first as an example, right? He brings up Abraham and says, man, Abraham was righteous because of what he did. But think about Abraham overall in scripture. We just touched on it as well. Abraham was obedient to move his family to a new land. So he was already living out what God had called him to do. He was already demonstrating his faith. He was a founding patriarch. So he was an upright citizen. That's how he's been described through scripture. And then he contrasts Abraham with Rahab the prostitute. In other, in other words, if we felt like Abraham was too far an attainable goal to reach, he brings up Rahab to say she's like the average person. She's like you and I. She is us, where we have our filth, where we have our messiness, where we have our issues and our problems. She represents the average person. But both of them were considered justified not simply by their, by their faith, but by what they did. They were justified, Abraham, Rahab, on the same basis by what they did. So very simply put, James is telling us we are considered righteous by what we do and not by faith alone. So throughout this message, this message, faith authenticated, we are seeing again two sides, right? We're seeing the side of how we should live out our faith and our relationship to others, and that's the horizontal part of the cross. And then we're also seeing how we should live our lives and why it is important to live out our faith in general, and that is the vertical connection with God, that it is not just about what we believe, but how we demonstrate that belief. And so this is an important part of this book, an important part of this series that I think we have to really take to heart that I can't just say that I have faith and not put any actions behind it. But I have to live all of that out. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope it blessed you and pray that whatever you take away today gets sown deep into your heart and you apply it to your day-to-day -day life. If it was as good to you as it was good to me, please share this message with someone and let's continue to grow together. Part of our vision here at The Grove is to be givers like Christ. If you were blessed by today's message and you wanna partner with us in your giving, all you have to do is text GIVE to 844-831-4106 or visit yourgrovechurch.org slash give. If you're looking for a community to be a part of, we would love for you to call the Grove Church home. And to get connected to us, you can simply text GO to 844-813-5747 or shoot us a DM on one of our social media platforms. I pray blessings over you wherever you are and wherever you go and can't wait for you to join us next time. Peace.